Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome to the whiteboard. With the World Cup officially underway, now felt like a good time to have a little look back at Fulham's season so far and what a season it has been, despite the disappointment of our last two games, which have left me feeling a little bit down. We still sit ninth in the table and we've exceeded everyone's expectations, particularly those outside of the Fulham bubble, I think, which is always nice. As always on the whiteboard, I am Dan Cook and I'm joined by the professor, Mr. Ben Jarman. Hello, Jarms. How are we doing? I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Loving that you're seeing you're getting in the patriotic spirit with your, your Canada top on, ready for the World Cup. Yeah, well, it's quite difficult to find. They have a little bit of a labour dispute on at the moment, so trying to find a jersey was, was very difficult, but we'll see what their appetite for the World Cup really is. Well, I guess we'll we'll start in the obvious place, which is, is having a look at the league table, which... Uh, I've enjoyed looking at quite frequently, I'll be honest, because how often do you get to cut off at 10th in the league and see Fulham in that top half of the Premier League? We're sat ninth, 15 games, five wins, four draws, sitting on 19 points above Brentford on goals scored, which is nice, uh, and two points off them lot down the road as well, which is not bad. Been some bumps along the way. We had a, a humbling by Newcastle and got seen off by West Ham, but there's been some real magic games in there, aren't there, Jarms? I mean, you look at the opening day draw against Liverpool was a fantastic way to start the season. And then late winner against Brentford, six minutes of just chaos in Nottingham, which I'll never forget. And that win at Elland Road as well, which was just magical. I'd just love to get your top level thoughts on this season so far, because from my perspective, I've absolutely loved it. And just seeing us be like this in the Premier League is so nice because it's been so long. But I just want to know what you think. Well, I was prepared for the worst, that's for sure, when we went back up. You know, when you've been bitten twice, third time round, you're probably a little bit shyer to the Premier League than you were. I've been really, really taken aback, really, by how well the squad has been playing. I mean, not, not too many changes from the, the team that won the championship last year, especially in terms of playing style eventually and then um, in terms of actual personnel. But where we have made additions, they've been absolutely incredible. You know, Andreas Pereira has been an absolute revolution for, for Fulham. And um, Joao Palinha has been insane too. Um, I think we absolutely got the the best buy of the summer there worldwide with Joao Palinha. It's absolutely uh, incredible that he didn't go to a top six club. And I think that uh, we'll probably see a lot of suitors from those top six this coming summer. And I really hope that he he stays. But they've gone beyond my, my wildest expectations. And I think I tweeted this out a few weeks ago. It was like, this is what Fulham are like when they're playing with freedom, with their heart and with a coach that trusts them rather than a coach that is trying to shackle them and make them play in a, in a, in a way that doesn't suit the team whatsoever. I think um, it's been really nice to see us try and outscore teams, taking it to the big six. I mean, the... the um, a couple of periods against Spurs at, at the London Stadium was um, not London Stadium, sorry, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was, was, was great. Um, taking it to United and City two weeks in a row and nearly coming away with two points, um, which would have put us level in the table with Chelsea, would have been absolutely brilliant for us, like a great result. It was just the, that dagger in the heart two weeks in a row. You wonder what that's done for the morale of the team. But, you know, they had a couple of um, 
tough weeks and a couple of tough results and they bounce back from it with no issues. And I think this is one of the things we see about Fulham is that they can bounce back and their morale and their strength of character in the squad led by Marco Silva is stronger than it has ever been. Yeah, I think that's something that we saw last season and, and we're seeing it again this season is that we rarely let a bad result sort of spiral. I think Marco's very, very good at sort of picking this team back up. You know, we don't panic, I don't think, after after bad results. We do regroup. We stick to our principles, which I think is important. I think too often you see managers look to chop and change and, and think that one bad result means everything has to go out the window. Whereas Marco's got such a defined philosophy, I think, in the way he wants to play. And I think that's aided by the fact that, you know, we have players in this squad who have very defined roles you know if you look at Alexander Mitrovic you know he's the spearhead of this attack and so so much of our game plan just revolves around how can we create opportunities for him in the best way possible and so I think that's that's been so good to see because especially after you know you look at the the Newcastle and West Ham results you think we've got a really winnable run of fixtures here but we're coming into it in a terrible piece of form and we just flipped it. You know, we went out, we beat Aston Villa 3-0. We were excellent. Yes, Villa were terrible. But I think it just shows the, the strength within this squad. And I think it does all come down to Marco Silva, ultimately, for me, I think, because we're seeing a team with such a defined way of playing. And it's it's an evolution of, of last season in the way that, you know, we've adapted to the Premier League so well. And I think that's where Fulham have struggled. I don't know what you think, but previously is that we haven't adapted to the Premier League. You know, we've come up and it's taken us five, 10, 15 games sometimes to actually adjust to like, this is how you need to play in the Premier League in order to pick up points. Whereas we seem to have understood that from game one, which I think is so important. And maybe because Marco Silva has that Premier League experience, which Slavisa didn't have, Scott Parker didn't really have. Maybe that's a reason why we, we've started so well. I don't know what you think. I think there's definitely a naivety to the two times we came up to the Premier League before this time. Um, so Visa thought that we could probably play our way out of danger. And I think that that's, that pretty much became apparent that we couldn't do it within three or four games of that opening uh, Premier League after, after we came up under Slavisa. And Scott, I mean, it just went from bad to worse with Scott, didn't it? From... Starting to pick up results, um, you know, we had that fruitful week where I think we got 11 points in, in one week. No, not 11 points in one week. Maybe it was like seven points in a week and that accounted for nearly a third of all the points we got in that Premier League season. And that then from there, it just went from bad to worse. But under Marco, you can see that Fulham have adjusted to the Premier League. The transitions that we make, much, much better than we ever had under those previous two managers. Um, a squad that previously was crying out for pace and power um, now has that in abundance. You see Andreas Pereira, who, to be honest with you, I thought was a bit of a bad move by Fulham, but someone that's got pace, power, the ability to make plays, to get beyond Mitrovic, to set Mitrovic up for those chances. And the, just the, the re-galvanising the re of Cabano and the other players in wide areas have made Fulham such a bigger threat than they would have been had they come up and not made those changes. So, yeah, completely agree. It's a lack of naive, naivety on our part and, and being that strength and believing in our personnel that really changes us. And I think that we have adapted much better than other sides that have come up and also like transition past sides that already exist, the likes of Southampton, for example, just seem to be stuck in the mud, treading water, Leeds, um, 
yeah, we, I think we're, we're better than both those teams. You know, the, the ones that have come up alongside us, Forest, definitely better than them. And Bournemouth seem to have found their stride recently. But um, with that new manager bounce and the potential appointment of Bielsa, it's kind of how far are they really going to go under him? Um, and have they got the personnel that suits a Bielsa style of play? Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think we we are in a much better place just it just in sort of terms of stability almost than quite a lot of the teams below us. I think there's a lot of panic going on in the bottom half of the Premier League table with teams who weren't necessarily expected to be there or or teams that were expected to be there but have actually been still been worse than they were they were expecting to be whereas you know we're in quite a nice position where everything seems quite harmonious and I think that counts for a lot especially coming out of an international break in in, in the next month or so where I, I want to sort of flip this and this sort of takes a slight negative spin but we'll see how we can get through to the positive out of it um, but, but Fulham have, have somewhat of an enigma and, and sort of an anomaly mm. if you will and if you look away from from actual points that we've gained and we look at expected performance, we've we've managed to confuse quite a lot of analysts in the football world um, on Twitter. And, and people aren't quite sure what to make of Fulham. Because if we have a look at our expected goal difference, which is simply the expected goals that you create versus the expected goals that you concede, we're the third worst in the league. So only Bournemouth and Everton are, are below us. And I think that's, really surprising because you can talk about the you, you can talk about numbers in football and you can talk about the eye test so the numbers will give you this this is the raw numbers however like intuitively watching Fulham based on what we've seen it doesn't really match up because I think we are definitely not the third worst performing team in this league and we've been competitive in nearly every game we've we've pushed teams all the way we've the games we've won I think we've deserved to win pretty much all of them but according to the numbers, being in ninth sort of flatters us and maybe we don't technically deserve to be there. But does that surprise you? Because it really surprised me when I saw this. It simply surprises me. I can't figure out how that's happened. There must be, I'm sure we'll get into it, but there must be a huge differentiator on the goals scored and goals against, um, expected goals scored and goals against. But the eye test thing that you've said there is, is a great point. And one that I totally agree with. If we look at home in this league, I would say for 90% of all the matches, you know, there's some games where we've made mistakes, but that's going to happen. It happens to the top teams. And um, we look look strong, we look steady. And I think that there has actually been a little bit of a development over the past few weeks in comparison to our opening weeks in the Premier League, like where we were almost backs against the wall at times. And I think we led the league in final third pressures, which basically says that we were letting people come way too close into our box and we weren't getting that pressure high enough up the pitch. I think since then, there has been a little bit of a shift of the needle whereby we are pressuring higher up the pitch. We're starting to win the ball back higher, for sure. And we're also starting to put our foot on the ball a bit more. So I'm guessing there's a little bit of a lag from those opening eight or nine games to you know the last seven or eight that we've had. And therefore, if we probably looked at that data in isolation over the, the last seven to eight weeks, I think we'd probably be more of a mid-table side. And we've actually been lucky that our goals for have actually saved us in the opening weeks. You know, the amount of results we're picking up where we're scoring two or three goals a game. Um, probably if we thought after that, <laughs> the Crystal Palace game, um, not Crystal Palace, sorry, the West Ham game um, and the other game around that area, that we would probably fall back down to earth with a bit of a bump. 
but since then we've gone on to to command two games quite nicely, pick up a draw, and then have two heartbreaking losses. So I think on the whole we we're absolutely fine, and we we will end up around anywhere from ninth to thirteenth place at the end of the season. We've picked up enough points. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's it's really interesting because people who don't watch Fulham, which is fair enough, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily expect someone who's a a fan of a, a top six club to pay a huge amounts of attention to us because we're not operating in the same echelons as they are. But people look at those numbers and they think like, this this makes no sense. And and I think you make a good point and we can sort of dig deeper into it in terms of the difference between expected goals for and against. And if we look at the XG4, we're ninth in the league. So we, we, we've managed to create more chances, in theory, better chances across games than Manchester United and Chelsea, which I think it says a lot about us. It probably says a lot about those two teams at the moment as well. But ultimately, we're good at, creating scoring opportunities which I think has always been true of of this Marco Silva side this Fulham side but also Marco Silva just in general I think as a manager and we've spoken about this very defined attacking plan you know we've got creative players they're allowed to be adventurous they've you know again Niskan Skabano rejuvenated as you said you know he's given some of these players Willian the opportunity just to go out and mm. express themselves on a pitch and it's all in aid of having that real focal point in the middle through Alexander Mitrovic, because we have players who are allowed to be creative and he's allowed to get himself in positions where he thinks he has the best chance of scoring. And I think that's what ultimately contributes to to this overall, to seeing us creating the ninth highest XG in the league, is that we have such a strong philosophy and such a strong defined plan going forward, which is great. However, it's quite obvious what happens next here. If we're bot, if we if we're 18th for expected goal difference, and we're ninth for goals for, if we look at goals against, we are by a fair distance the worst team in the league statistically. Defensively, we offer up more chances than any other team in the league, which is really surprising to me, especially when you look at the mess that some of the teams who were sat above us are defensively. You look at Forest, who are atrocious at the back. Um, you look at Leeds, who are a chaos defensively. But in terms of chances they give up, it's it's nowhere near as bad as the chances that we're giving up. And I think part of it, we are, we do give away penalties. We have conceded a fair few penalties, which does contribute. But I don't think that explains the whole thing. But we've spoken about this before in terms of Fulham needing to score three goals every game if they want to win a game. And now there was some sort of, there's a bit of embellishment in that and it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but we are really dependent on scoring goals. There's clearly defensively, we're not quite up to it. And if we're not putting the ball in the net at the other end, it's unlikely that we're going to get out of games with a point because our defense just doesn't seem to be good enough. But I wonder if, if, if you see this as a problem or is it something that we can just deal with? Because there is something quite fun and quite tantalising about the fact that we're going out and saying, we don't care if you score two because we'll just score three because we've done that three or four times now this season. But is it a bit sort of foolhardy? Like, are we at risk of running into problems here if we lose that scoring touch? Because if Mitro goes on a poor run or if he gets injured again, which would be very problematic, do we have enough in us to keep defending like this and still win games. Major concerns would be first one 
the one you just touched on there, if Mitrovic gets injured, then we look a completely different team without him, albeit the last two games against City and United, unlucky to come away without a point. The second concern is that if someone like Joel Paulinho gets injured or gets suspended for a long period of time, then that is where the crack opens up massively in that midfield. Um, we have no one after him in that midfield that I'd feel comfortable like asking to do his role. Maybe Reedy at a push. But that's where I start to feel like this differential could catch up with us if there are certain external factors that don't go our way. But as I said earlier, we'd also like to see what that data in isolation looks like for the past six or seven weeks. Because I think since then we've changed the way we approach games. We've been much more uh, front-footed with the way we pressure opposition teams. We've held the ball a lot more. We've tried to create openings with more than just going direct and going long. I think that that's what we did in, when we first come up to try and smash and grab a few points to give us a foundation to move on from. Obviously, we have that now. We have that foundation. We've you know, become really comfortable in the league. And clearly, Fulham are comfortable in their own skin. So I think that there's definitely a point to say that over the past seven or eight weeks that that probably doesn't look the same. But I do think that it's heavily skewed by the amount of high-value chances we give up and the penalties that you're speaking about. There's quite often times where Fulham allow people way too deep into their box. You look at the Garnacho goal um, against United. He just, there's absolutely no way that he should have been allowed that deep into the box. Um, albeit that is a, probably an individual error from Bobby Reid. He probably should have... He tried to show him down the wing too early um, and actually probably should have just stood him up and allowed him to pass backwards. But I think Fulham have been good and much better at this over the past five, six weeks in showing people inside and making them pass backwards rather than allowing them to hit the byline like they did in the opening few weeks and hoping that Leno saves it. But I think just on Leno, I think in terms of what we got him for, which was essentially a a packet of sweets and some chewing gum from Arsenal. <laughs> uh, it's been an incredible start to his Fulham career. Such a great goal. And I think, you know, like people still get watery-eyed when they talk about Alphonse Ariola, but Bern Leno has been amazing for us. Like the guy's a great shot stopper. Distribution, something to, yeah, something to <laughs> leaves to the imagination. But I think as, as in terms of what you can get in terms of his level of goalkeeping for that money, Fulham are absolutely laughing at Arsenal would have felt like they've been absolutely done here, I think. Yeah, and someone who who can stay in this team as our first choice keeper for a number of years still, which I think is a is a huge, a huge thing. The fact that, that he's ours and he's he's pretty much now in his prime as a goalkeeper is is so important. Yeah. And I think I, I said this a few weeks back, I think on an Aston Villa preview for one of their for a Villa fan podcast, but he's not yet actually won us any points Burton Leno but it's not been his fault he's been exceptional in pretty much every game but I think there will be a couple of times still this season where we come out of a game that we've won and he is man of the match and we he, he deserves those three points in his name because he has been brilliant and I think it's tricky because it's it's hard to pinpoint necessarily where all of the issues in our defence are. Clearly there are issues because otherwise we wouldn't be bottom of the XG against table and we wouldn't have conceded as many goals as we have. But if you look individually through the, the back four, Anthony Robinson has been superb, I think, in general. I, I've been so impressed with him this season. I think a lot of people have. Issa Diop, who was 
who put out one of the worst performances you'll ever see when we played Crawley. <laughs> and he's, I mean, it was, it was terrible. And it was, it was worrying as well, mm-hmm. because we understood that this was a man who was meant to be a first choice centre-back when he came in. But since then, he's really kicked on. I've been really impressed with him, especially over the past month or so. Kenny Tete, when he's played, has been really good. Bobby has filled in admirably at right back. There are individual mistakes in there, which you can I'm sort of reluctant to criticise him for because you sort of have to expect them from someone who is yeah. not a right back and is, has been thrust into it. And so I think he deserves credit. And Tim Ream's got himself into the World Cup off the back of, you know, this first 15 games. So I think individually, everyone's been performing at a pretty good level, but it does seem that just across the board, there's an error here and an error there, which do mean that we give up these these high-quality chances to the opposition but so I think it's an interesting one for for Marco to try and tackle because I don't know what the solution is here because it seems like the personnel are right but maybe it just needs a, still needs a little bit more time for them to gel I don't know what you think being really harsh I think it's probably that right hand side because Kenny is injured so often you can't you physically cannot rely on him to put together six or seven games at a time before he gets injured and therefore you have to bring in Bobby as that emergency right back and this is the Premier League this is the highest level of of football at the moment and you're playing a makeshift right back in a team that has just come up into the Premier League I think that is going to be an area that we need to explore in in the January transfer window and I would absolutely look at someone like Purvis Estupinian from from Watford as as a great fill in for there, like someone that can do it offensively and and on the on the defensive side of the game as well, has a great burst of pace, can put in a good cross. But um, yeah, I think that is probably an area I'd look at. And of course, I think again, if we're being really harsh, you look at the business decision to let Joe Bryan go and you fill him in with Levan Kozawa, who hasn't even been able to hit the bench more than once yet. The guy that was perennially injured last year. Maybe I'm letting my personal views get in the way of this, but a guy that has an absolute stinker of a personality, I'm not sure the attitude's right. He's a proven winner, of course. You don't get that many league arm titles and you don't win a World Cup by being shit at football. But ultimately, it's been a gamble that hasn't paid off yet and it puts us in a really sticky situation when Anthony Robinson gets injured. And I think that's as simple as it is. This brand new transfer window could be huge for us. I think it's it's not necessarily make or break, but more a, a chance to make the most of the start we've had. Because I, if if we sign well and we sign intelligently, we can really strengthen ourselves to cement our position in the league for next season, but then also provide more building blocks for the following season to, to, to keep kicking on. Because there seems to be a strong belief within this squad that we are more than a team who should just be looking at avoiding relegation. There's there's optimism that this this Fulham team can really start to try and be the best of the rest in this league, you know, to sit at the top of the other 14 teams in this league, maybe 13 now that, that Newcastle have got, got the money. But there is likely, as you say, more than one position we need to strengthen. Right back, obvious. Kevin and Babu is doing a sort of L- Larnell Cole impression in just not existing. And... <laughs> Levin Kazar was doing the same thing. So we do need, I think, at least one of those defensive flanks to be reinforced because it, it 
just doesn't work having anyone else fill in there at the moment. And it's tough for Bobby as well, because it means we lose him out of our attacking line. Um, so I think that's a problem, especially, I also think that Bobby can probably contribute um, in the same regions that Andreas Pereira contributes. So he, he it was originally that sort of second striker. And I think that he would suit that role, but we just can't get him in there at the moment because whenever he plays, he has to play at right back. Where I want to focus though, is that midfield three because this is one of the things that I've been thinking about over the past few weeks. And we've seen it when we've had to deal without at least one of these players. We have a look at the minutes played by the central midfielders in our team. It's quite clear that despite playing three in midfield, we only sort of have three and a half players who Marco's willing to play. So, you know, Tom Kearney's there, but he's got a quite a defined role this season, which Marco seems to want to use him in specific circumstances. Normally, either when we're trying to see out a game and you bring on his sort of composure on the ball, or if we're trying to unlock a team that, that started to sit really deep, you know, if we look at what Bournemouth did against us, you know, yes, that's a fantastic time to bring on Tom Kearney, but I don't think he necessarily fits in the balance of midfield that we currently have with Polina, Reed, and Pereira. So, this is the tricky thing because we've got three players here who have made up 91% of all the minutes played by central midfielders in our squad, which is great because they're all three of them together are fantastic and they create a lovely balance and they are feeding off each other perfectly. But it means that they are basically always having to play. And so when they don't play, we're in trouble. You know, we look at Josh Honor and Nat Chalabu who've managed to contribute 26 minutes between the two of them this season. And those have largely been horrific minutes of football. And and <laughs> and then Tom Kearney, who doesn't have doesn't quite have the right profile for this midfield. And the worry is, is if one of them gets injured. I think that's the the main worry. We we can maybe can, you know, deal with suspensions. They're going to happen. We've seen already Polina and Harrison Reed suspended for a game because of yellow cards. But I think the big issue is is injuries. But also if we need to change a game, it doesn't feel like we can change it that well in the middle of the park. And so I think this is where we've started to see some rumours. You know, we've seen the the Frank Kessier rumours, which people have got quite excited about. We've also seen Thiago Maia um, from Brazil rumoured to come in, who seems to sort of fit in that six Polina role which one do you think is most important for us to reinforce if we if we are saying that they are three very distinct and different roles which I think they are which one of Polina Reed and Pereira do you think we need a backup for most it's a tough one I would say anyone that can play a mixture of Reed and Pereira's role so anyone that's comfortable playing a six and an eight I don't know much about Thiago Maia, so I can't go on record and say he's the guy. I don't know much about him. I don't know much about Brazilian football anymore. But Tessier is a really, really nice pickup if you can get that guy. Um, whether you can, because Barcelona just moved hell on earth to get him from AC Milan, is, is another is another thing. Um, but I think like someone like in that profile of Tessier that can come in and can can destroy, but can also use the ball is, is someone that's going to be hugely beneficial for us. We can see him, Paulinho himself, has got a great passing arc. The guy definitely knows how to pass the ball. He's not just a destroyer. He's much more than that. Um, I just want to counter on the on the TC fact on the TC factor in that I thought he played exceptionally well against United. Granted, it's United and they're a bit of a shambles at times, but I thought he was 
one of the you know an impeccable performance from TC. I, I agree. Dug I agree. Ball well, gave gave us so much. Then I think is actually growing again as a midfielder, giving us much more than he usually would have. And actually, I was thinking about him yesterday. I was about a bit like, wow, like TT is definitely my favourite Fulham player of the last like 10, 15 years. I mean, probably a bit of a bold shout, but like when you look at him, it just makes the game look so simple. It's like he's it, like he floats around the pitch, uses the ball well. And when you get him in that right channel just outside the penalty area at the cottage, you know what's going to happen. Like either a wonderful ball in or he's going to have a great shot or he'll make something happen. And I think that that is what you expect from T. But the two areas of concern are definitely around Onoma and Talibur. Like, I get it. Bit of a fan of Onoma. Obviously, Tech like Onoma, sick like cholera, <laughs> is like one of the best lines in, in grime music. And like, I'm, I'm big into him. And I think that he could have had such a great career had injuries not curtailed that. Um. But to have Onoma and Chalabert as your depth options in the Premier League when you're trying to establish yourself and you have that disparity between the number of minutes played cries out for another two bodies in there at the very least. You need to you need to ship someone out on loan and you need to get someone out on there permanently. Like We knew that Onoma was on the verge of going to West Brom, missed it by a handful of minutes and you could see that he'll probably go in, in January as soon as that window opens. I wouldn't be surprised if he was caught. Um, Chalabar on the other hand like he's played 11 minutes eight of those minutes came in a game where he got sent off after eight minutes <laughs> so <laughs> I think that that probably says enough about his Fulham career but two bodies at the very least are, are going to be needed and I'm also like very careful and I want to almost like give a message to Fulham don't buy someone off the back of a World Cup oh, it just yes yeah it, it, it never never goes well other than maybe James Rodriguez in 2014, like I can't remember of a success story coming out of the back of a World Cup where that player hit the same heights and they did on that stage. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I'd love someone in there like Kessier. Um, yeah, just like player that can do both would be yeah. great. No, I, I completely agree on the World Cup comment as well. And I think one of the things that would bother me is if we did it is it really would stink of like no long-term planning. Because I would say that given the, the way that this season is working, we should already know who we're trying to sign in January and we should be working on those now because we don't have to think about anything else. And so if we do go out and sign someone off the back of a World Cup performance, that means that we've sort of vaguely panicked and, and made a, an unnecessary decision. Whereas, which is why I like, you know, that these Thiago Maia rumours, now I'm not commenting on him as a player, but just in general, from a business sense, it just looks like Fulham are thinking about this in a correct time frame, which I think is good. And yeah, as you say, I think in an ideal world, we would have someone who can fill in Pavinia and Reed's role separately. You would have two separate players doing that. I think the benefit is maybe that in general they could probably both play each other's role. I think Polina and Harrison Reed, whilst it's not ideal, can both flip and, and one the other could be the six, the other could be that sort of six slash eight. But it's just, I don't think we'll get through a 38-game Premier League season, especially how it's going to stack up post-World post, post World Cup with just three options in midfield plus TC. It's I just ridiculous. think we'll... Yeah, and it's, it's, it's sort of quite frustrating that we've ended up in this position anyway because we, we all knew this in August, yet, you know, we're still here battling this. But 
I, I think that given the rumours going around, we'd have cause to be optimistic that Fulham are trying to solve this problem. And I'm sure Marco's pretty miffed that he's been left so short in the middle of the park. But I think it's it's a big window. It's a big window. And if we get it right, I think we're in a really strong position, not just not just now, but looking forward. And I think that's that's important. Just before we wrap up, there was one man that we've touched upon already, but I would love to give a little section of his own too, because he has been beyond exceptional this season. And I think it's apt to speak about Harrison Reed, our, our ginger Iniesta, particularly as there was a lot there was a lot of murmurings from within the within the fan base that, you know, like he should be getting an England call up. And whilst I think not all of them were entirely serious, I understood the reasons for it. Also because we're in a bit of a bubble. You know, every every football fan is in their own team's bubble. So they think all of their players must be the best players and no one else is 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 realizing it. But he has been exceptional this season. You know, he has kicked on so much by adding goals to his game and and hitting those sort of half spaces. I thought Leeds was the perfect example where he was, you know, getting in between the fullback and the centre back and causing real chaos, but still all of those defensive responsibilities he takes on as well. He's been brilliant. And what I think bothers me about the England thing is that not that he's not gone, but I have a sneaking suspicion that he wouldn't have even been in the 55 man squad. And I think that that probably says something. Is he maybe unlucky in the sense that if this was a summer World Cup, if he had replicated this first half of the season and done it again in the second half of the season, would he have more of a chance of a call up if we'd have been doing this in summer 23? I'm not sure. I think he's probably going to be overlooked for a little bit longer, but I don't know what you think, but I think if he keeps on putting out these levels of performance within a Fulham team that is succeeding, and I think that's the key, because if you look at James Ward-Prowse this season in the Southampton side that's really struggled, he's not made the World Cup squad. And I think that's almost partially down to the fact that Southampton have been so poor. I think they're reluctant to pick players like that. So I think a key part of it is Fulham being good still. But could you see him playing for England? Do you, do you think he's got it to, to, to fill a role within a squad for England? My biggest question, almost if I was asking Southgate, is what does he have to do? This is a, a part of the England squad where we're criminally thin. You look at, you know, Calvin Phillips has been injured for the vast majority of this season, hasn't even made the pitch barely for City, and he gets the call up. Um, James Ward-Prowse hasn't gone... Declan Rice has gone. There's a couple of other bodies in there. You kind of think, whether you're inside or outside of the Fulham bubble, what has he got to do? Because if he didn't make that mythical, magical 55-man squad, then you kind of feel for him that and a cap to like a path to an England call-up is probably a, a long one and one that a lot of factors have to go in his favour for him to even get considered. But... If you think about it through lenses of other countries, if he was Canadian, if he was from the US, if he's Welsh, if he's Scottish, Irish, anywhere, he would be in that World Cup squad. No, without question, I don't think. Um, but I think he's had a tremendous season. And if he goes on to replicate in the second half, I think he already basically could has cemented his status as a Premier League player. Not only this season, but under Scott Parker as well. I thought he was a, yeah. one of our best performers that Everton game he had the whole whole of Everton on toast he ran that midfield yeah. single-handedly it was it was a, a brilliant performance from Reedy but 
to see him score twice now um, in the first half of this season, no, it's been brilliant. Like the the reactions from all of the team after Forrest, his own reaction to scoring, it's been a long time coming. And I think that there's a lot more to reading than people give him credit for. It's an exceptional passing arc. He can cover ground like never before. He's also pretty good in the air for a small guy. And I think, you know, he he's a brilliant footballer, a really, really brilliant footballer. And it would take a huge signing or a huge performance from someone else to, you know, crowbar him out of that Fulham sign lineup. Yeah, I, I think he has been, and I mean, this is now what, this is his fourth season at the club. And I, I think you'd struggle to find anyone who's been more consistent than him. And it's impressive because he's maintained consistency over the four years whilst also improving, which is, you know, he started at a good level, but has just gradually got better and better and added more things to his game, which I think deserves so much credit because I think that's someone who is, you know, always trying. He's always trying to improve himself. And, and he says it himself, you know, he, he wanted to add goal scoring to his to his locker and he's done that this season which and and it's not just as a result of like it's not through luck or anything he is putting the work he is getting in the right positions to score goals which is and is necessary in the position that he's now playing he's been given that sort of freedom to be a little bit more attack minded with Polina sitting sort of a bit deeper next to him and yeah i just it was that the Leeds game is is when it really all fell over me in the sense of like this this is a this is a really special guy that we've got and uh, he could go on to do really great things for this Fulham side and it yeah I, there's no need for us to necessarily look for a, an improvement on him because I think you'd struggle to find someone who Fulham could get who performs all of the duties that he does and that's exactly when you say like what more can he do to get an England call up is probably just keep doing what he's doing and and just hope that, that actually that gets some recognition. And I think there's an opportunity here with Southgate leaving after this World Cup where you get a fresh set of eyes on it. You get a new manager in who really, everyone's got their favourites and we know Gareth Southgate's got his favourites. And that's fine because I think all football managers do. But if you're looking at Calvin Phillips, there's no way I don't think that his call-up was justified for this World Cup. And would you, could you argue that Harrison Reed was more deserving potentially, but that would based on the fact that he just played football. So I think quite a few players were more deserving. So I, I think there's a chance post-World Cup, if he keeps doing this, that if you start to look at, you know, next summer or or next autumn, Nations League stuff, I think his, his name definitely should be in there because there aren't that many players who do what he does. I, I think it's quite a unique, I don't, know, I, I don't know what you think, but I think it's just quite a unique role that he picks up. It's It's just everything it's it's beyond the box-to-box midfielder it is just everything he is um like an old school midfielder really you know like you know you think about modern midfielders now they do one or two areas of the game really well and that's it that's their that's their um, pigeonhole almost you look at Reedy Reedy can do everything you know the guy is a wonderful passer of the ball he can tackle he can create chances he's good on set pieces as well when we've seen that happen Admittedly, the goal scoring, not great, but we hope it changes. But to pick up a player of Reedy's quality for the, the fee that we gave Southampton, I think it was around six million. You know, where are you going to get a midfielder for six million pounds that fulfills all those roles, has the potential that Reedy does and has the loyalty to the club that he has? You know, there's so many times he could have walked, especially in the, in the two relegations that we had with, with Reedy in the squad. 
So I think um, a great pickup from Fulham. Reedy's going to have a great career. And, I, you know, I would love to see him in an England shirt. But unless he moved to a top six club or he just kept churning out appearances, I don't think I can see it. I just hope he finds some sort of heritage from somewhere else and he ends up playing international football for them. Get him in the Albanian squad. I'll uh, I'll see if I can get him some citizenships <laughs> soon, and we can we can target the next Euros with Harrison Reed captaining the uh, the Super Eagles. So um, thank you very much for joining me, James. This has been very enjoyable. It's been nice to have that opportunity to sort of. I'll, I'll admit, last week I was feeling very down after the Manchester United game. It knocked a lot out of me. It's I haven't watched the highlights back. I've refused. And so it's been nice to take a week's break and actually positively look back at what does as a season that deserves so far a lot of credit and has been very enjoyable. And there's some good stories coming out of it. So thank you very much for joining me. No worries, mate. It's been an absolutely great discussion. <laughs> enjoyed every second. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. And uh, we will, this will be starting off as a YouTube video and then we will be moving into a, a podcast format. This will be uploaded as a podcast format. So, whatever your preference, listen or watch, however you want. But thank you for doing so. Hope you have a lovely week. Enjoy the World Cup and we will see you soon. Come on, you guys. <laughs>